When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. understood. It's funny to think that the artist wants the same thing, but the problem is the second you finish something, you're already a different person than when you started making it. That's the voice of Francis Quinlan, my guest in episode 39 of the LSQ podcast. Hey, I'm Jenny LSQ. Uh, thanks so much for pressing play. Also, later in the episode, there's a pretty sweet clip from my interview archive, an excerpt from a chat with Lana Del Rey over coffee back in 2011 but more on that later. The quest to be understood that you heard Frances mention just a moment ago. It's something she talks about quite a bit in this conversation, which also explores her early musical influences, from Michael Jackson to Neutral Milk Hotel, and how she and her brother Mark eventually overcame divergent tastes to work together in the band Hopalong. Frances and I met up late last year at my place in Brooklyn, just after she had announced her debut solo album, Likewise, which is out this month on Saddle Creek Records. And for starters, I was curious what had inspired Francis, who began Hop Along as a solo project back in 2005, to return to solo work at this point in her creative career. You know, I started, yeah, I started out solo, but I used the moniker. Initially, it was a longer moniker, Hop Along Queen Anne's Lace. I started that in 2004, and my brother joined started playing with me in 2008 and we decided instead of changing the name because we were already playing songs I'd written you know I started around college and we essentially before really getting into you know writing and collaborating we uh just started with the folk songs I'd written in college and added drums this isn't really answering your question my bad no, no, listen, <laughs> but, no uh, we're, 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 so it's, we're on the journey born. together you know <laughs> yeah and uh so all we did was just cut the second half of it and changed it to hop along, which to my mother's chagrin, <laughs> uh, she said that we became much harder to Google. But I know, I mean, and I know that you, that you've said that part of the reason that you were excited back then to expand your early songs into this rock band, you know, for, format or whatever was to have more power behind the songs and to hear, to feel what that would be like. But to my ears, some of the point of it is, 
is stripping away the bombast, uh, this collect this particular collection of tunes. Well, part of the benefit of, of Hop Along is that it has four arrangers in it. I mean, we, while I bring, generally bring like a whole song to the band most of the time, sometimes we'll like have parts that I'll like, you know, fuse together and we'll work on that. But generally I'll, I'll bring a whole piece to the group, um, very raw um, skeleton, and we change it as a group dramatically a lot of the time. Sometimes things kind of keep their uh, initial structure but yeah, they certainly generally transform and there will oftentimes be one or two songs that I'll write and just feel that, you know, the original form is the true form. And so then, you know, in Hop Along, those will take a form as just a stripped down solo song on the record, say, you know, um, like How You Got Your Limp on uh, Bark Your Head Off Dog is, uh, you know, aside from the strings and harp, it's mainly a solo guitar. Yeah. Um, and we and I actually recorded two more songs. Uh, Barker Head Off Dog was originally going to be eleven songs long. Two of the songs were "Went to L.A." and "A Secret" were recorded during that session, and it turned out it was just too long. Uh, and while I thought it would be pretty badass to put out a double LP, it just didn't make sense. And it, it was really fortuitous, actually. Um, the more I thought about it, I, I, I had been thinking like. You know, I like the idea of, of going another route in songwriting where where perhaps I wrote a few songs that did stay closer to their original forms. Mm. So those two songs, yeah, prompted me to write the whole record. Right, because it felt good. It felt good. Um, and, gosh, I'm trying to remember the timeline. I guess I'm interested in what what made, you know, just on the larger scale, why you want, why this felt like a thing you wanted to do, why it was important to you. I have a... Uh, I'm getting to an age, I mean, you know, I'm at the nice boring age of, of 33, like, <laughs> but uh, I'm getting to an age where I'm realizing how much of my identity seems to be in one place, mm. uh, in one thing that I've been so invested in mm-hmm. all these years, which is Hoplong, and I'm grateful. I, I, it's an incredible project to get to be a part of. And I'm realizing that so much of my identity is, I mean, certainly a little bit as a visual artist. Um, I've been a visual artist longer than I've been a musician, actually, but I, I knew that I wanted an identity, a continued identity as a songwriter, and uh, I just really wanted to pursue that a little more intensely, I guess, and, and, and with a little more dynamic. Um, so when did you first start writing songs? I started writing songs initially when I was really young. I wanted to be a short story writer, so I wrote I wrote short stories. I was really into like horror stories. Uh, okay. Yeah, I saw Evil Dead when I was seven. Or not excuse me, not Evil Dead. I saw Army of Darkness when I was seven. Okay. With my parents. Okay. I don't think I was supposed to see that, but uh, but it was great. Yeah, I liked. I don't know. I liked the power of frightening people <laughs> and I and I liked to sing um and I don't remember uh yeah I mean I, I was into music at a young age I mean when I was little I was in love with Michael Jackson absolutely in love with him I woke my mother up crying once because I, I just realized in the night that I would never meet him 
And so I shook her awake, and she's like, what's the problem? I was like, I'm never going to meet Michael Jackson. How old, how old would you have been? I was like eight, nine. So yeah, I was obsessed with, um, I think I wanted to be famous. I liked that idea a lot. And I, I, I don't remember what got me into singing. I mean, I think I would sing to myself. And then my mom got me lessons from this woman that lived in a castle down the road. In Philly? No, no, this I was feel. in New Jersey. I, so I partially grew up, Mark and I grew up partially in North Jersey in a town called Basking Ridge. And then my parents split up when I, I was like eight, Mark was 10, something like that. Uh, before that, though, I, I took singing lessons for maybe a year. In a, in a castle, though? In a castle, in like a cul-de-sac. Yeah, I would like wow. ride my little bike up. Anyway, but then my parents split up and I, you know, all I had piano lessons too. And I kind of, I really hated, I would hide for the piano lessons, which is too bad because that would have been useful down the line. <laughs> what didn't um, you like about it? Uh, I hated practicing. I've never loved practicing. Uh, even when the band started, the person who made us practice was Mark. I mean, Mark's the reason we're much better than we were. Was he already I mean, playing music, being you know older than you anyway? Had he was he interested in playing music before you were, or did you kind of get him into it? No, we got we he got into it before me, um, just by virtue of age, I think. But our, both our parents were very into. Neither of our parents are musicians, but they were both big fans of. Uh, my dad, you know, big Beatles and the Kinks fan. Um, he was also really into like STP, like I recall. But Mark and I both had to take piano lessons. Mark Mark took them first. He was very good, very very good piano player. And uh, I remember we had one teacher that would wear like Pink Floyd shirts. He was nice. He taught Mark the Simpsons theme on piano. And would you and Mark play music together even then? As as no, uh, I was really in my own world growing up. I liked to be I I, I wanted to be alone a lot as a kid. Um, school was rough. I mean, I was not by any means cool. I was a very delusional kid, which helped me in a lot of ways. You know, it's, it's funny. I, I think delusion is a very helpful tool when you're young. Cause you're not, you're usually not very good delusional. at any of the things How? you, you know, just thinking like, I'm going to, I'm amazing. You know, and people are really, I, I really have a lot to say <laughs> at, at age, you know, six when it's just like, do you have a lot to say? <laughs> That's a lot. To, I mean, you know, that's a wonderful quality to have, I think, though. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I'm grateful for it. It's just yeah. funny, you know, I'm not... It's I'd love to I, meet a six-year-old with a lot to say, you know? Like, introduce me to a six-year-old with a lot to say. Be like, tell me, please, tell me some things. There's such an, such an instinctiveness about kids that age and what they think they know. It's, it's not really, like, delusional. It's, like, it's like tapped in somehow. Well, there are some, you know, I, I think uh, I just wanted so badly to be listened to before I even knew what I wanted to say. Mm. And I think that's a desperate quality <laughs> in a child. Um, and I didn't know what to do about it uh, for a long time. So I mostly drew, mostly wrote stories. I didn't start writing. I started writing poetry. I got, real, I got into like Edgar Allan Poe and then E.E. E. Cummings I think was next. So, so when did you actually start to, you know, put into practice the, the sort of, like, music's important, it's now, it wasn't floating around kind of looking for a, a creative thing that was intriguing to you, but you, you knew it. You knew, when did it start to feel really important to you? 
Well, I love to sing, and I guess I decided that I wanted to sing my own material when I was like 14. And uh, I, yeah, I got to be about 14, and I have step siblings. Um, so my stepbrother Andrew is seven years older than me, and he would like, you know, give me tapes. He gave me the Lauren Hill, Miss Education of Lauren Hill tape. He gave me Patty Griffin. Mm-hmm. Uh, living with ghosts that was a huge one because she recorded it in her apartment mm-hmm. i think that was the first home recording i ever knowingly heard right actually um which i tend to forget about that and he gave me Ani defranco that was like a big big right, one right right um, Ani defranco so hearing all these tapes hearing jewel uh, she lived out of her car i remember that was like a big story uh fiona apple's title right i just there i i was inundated with all of these powerful female artists who wrote a lot of them wrote their own material yeah and that was just a big deal to suddenly hear these women who not only had unique Mm -hmm. amazing voices but also were writers and I still didn't have any interest so I would sing to Andrew and he would transcribe it on guitar and we Mm -hmm. had a project initially called brother and sister and then it was called the seven year difference we made two albums on which I desperately tried to sound like Ani DeFranco it's really hard for me to hear myself from that time. It's very cool, though. I mean, he, he would just, like, take my vocal pattern and match it on the guitar, and we would play at the Cosmic Corner Coffee House in Boyertown. It's, like, basement. And, I mean, when did you feel like you obviously have a distinctive style of singing, a distinctive sort of melodic patterns that you gravitate toward? Had that already... You know, could you identify the kind of early bits of that in as you were kind of transitioning out of kind of imitating Ani DeFranco into kind of what you've become as a vocalist? It took me a long time. Uh, I really tried to emulate. I didn't even realize it. I, I think I thought I was being myself and just didn't realize how I was trying to be older, seem older than I was mm-hmm. a lot of the time. I mean, the subject matter. I, I was writing about, I guess, sex, and I was a virgin. Right. Um, anyway, yeah, that was, but that was part of, you know, I wanted to be this, uh, I mean, that, was, that still was clinging to everything I was doing was being this, um, I guess, sexy before I even understood what that word meant. And, uh, but making art, uh, drawing, writing, those escapes felt very purposeful. It didn't feel the way that quite the same as playing. I mean, playing is great, but uh, they felt like these ongoing entities that I could really live in beyond a, a game or beyond beyond fantasizing, although I suppose that's what I was doing. And it grew with me. I mean, my mom gave me oil. My mom also, I mean, I was incredibly fortunate. I was going to say this about, you know, childhood, that it's unfortunate that a lot of kids don't get this. I was very lucky. My mother told me when I was very, very young that I was an artist, which, I mean, I look at my drawings from back then. She didn't have to say that. Like, it was not, you know, lots of kids draw. Lots of kids are, I, I don't know that I showed any extraordinary signs, but she wanted me to Believe take it. myself yeah. seriously. Yeah, yeah. And, uh. A lot of kids, a lot of adults, I, I don't think, realize how important what they have to say to kids is. Like, you're good at that. I mean, just even, even if it's something that they lose interest in, just to have uh, something to pursue and something to feel, yeah, confident about. Because school is just gnarly. <laughs> it is 
man. When yeah. I, I, I would not, I mean, there's anybody that, I remember being on a school bus with, with one girl and we were in high school and she was looking out at the middle school and she's like, don't you miss seventh grade? And I was like, are you out of your mind? No, don't yeah. miss that grade. Jesus, can't wait to get out of fucking high school. Like the, the biggest relief of a year was senior year when like we all just realized we wanted to leave so badly but everyone kind of stopped being so mean to each other because we all had the same goal. We all wanted to get out. And then there were only a couple dicks that year. <laughs> Do you still find though that like, um, cre- you know, songwriting or whatever at creative outlets, br- you know, bring you to that same place where, where kind of it eliminates the distractions or it feels like us uh, kind of a harbor, um, the way that it did as a kid as a, it's hard. You know, I do sometimes miss, I remember, I mean, once I heard bright eyes, uh, and then, and airplane over the sea was the next one. Like those, it was like, wham, wham, you know, like right one, right after the other, hearing these two records made between friends. Um, Connor made that record with Mike and, uh, Jeff Mangum made his record with, uh, Rob Schneider, who he grew up with. Mm-hmm. And that was magic to me that these people had found each other and made these beautiful, surreal environments. Mm-hmm. Like those, those records were environments to me. I did not know you could do that with music until I heard those albums. And, you know, Bell and Sebastian, that was another one, but I, that was a little later. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I, even, I guess the first record that was an environment to me was a probably OK Computer. Mm-hmm. But I was a little too young to really know why I liked it. Right. To feel it as an escape. I didn't know that albums could be like films in a way. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or you're just, uh, or like paintings. Yeah, and I love, and I fantasized about collaborating. I fantasized about um, just finding those people that right. I could make those spaces with. But until then, I, I made freshman year, which was a fake <laughs> space. I mean, I, I worked with my, I, I had two friends I worked with. Um, my friend Chris Archibald uh, recorded four of those songs. And then the rest of it, I remember I, I, I bought Cubase from Guitar Center. I, it was my summer, I, I had one summer to make it before school started up again. And I, I learned how to use Cubase. And then I just recorded in my parents' basement and drove myself nuts. And then, you know, recorded groups of people. I did everything I could to make an album that sounded like a lot of people were on it, which was not really the case. I mean, Chris played with me at most... There, there was only one time or, or two times where I had a group of people in the room, which was to sing like gang vocals on, on two songs. And the rest of it was me and a couple of friends, but they were, you know, it was mostly me in a basement alone. Um, at one point I had a recording of, of these gang vocals and I was in the basement responding to the gang vocals as though I was in the moment with them. Cause I was thinking of that last song off of the store of um, lifted Mm-hmm. Where it's like everybody in the bar is, can I get a timpani roll? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can I get a goddamn... I was trying to do that. <laughs> I was trying to make it sound like that, but it was just me. I was by myself going, I love you guys. Like, it was... Oh, man. Probably shouldn't tell anybody that either. Um, and, I, and, and at that time, I, you know, I was touring on that album in the, in the winter months of, of when, when school was out. Because I was really serious about... I went to art school, and I, I really wanted to be a painter as well. In high school, you know, I was 
mostly painting, I would uh, use up my study halls to go. I mean, my art teacher would let me, she was amazing. I, I had a really incredible high school art teacher. She's basically my mentor, Ms. Wagner. And she would let me put on whatever music I liked and paint. And I would just hang around in there and waste time too because I was painting at home and, and she figured I was serious enough. But, you know, I, I was very, very serious about being being an artist. And then I heard these albums that just that certainly sounded synonymous to what what painting was. Right. I mean, they were art forms. And that was when I got really excited about recording about. Um, I mean, I already was recording with my brother. And I loved making records with him, but but it, it had a different. It just had a different objective. I mean, I loved making music with with him. It was really fun, you know, and I remember. Uh, getting my license and driving through the winding like woods to get to Andrew's house to work on songs. I mean, that was really, really special. But basically what happened was I, I knew I was going away to school in Baltimore and I knew that I wouldn't really be able to record with him so much. So uh, that's when I broke off and started Hop Along Queen Anne's Lace, a solo project. And he helped me with the first album. Andrew was really yeah, really, really supportive. And Mark, in the meantime, was uh, listening to, like, hardcore music. We really, like, diverged as far as our tastes went at that time. But it's really funny how we, like, came back together. <laughs> well, we both, you know, it's like one of those things, like, where you move out, and then that's when you get close. Yeah. Because you don't, you're not, like, breathing on top of each other or whatever. Yeah. Um, and um, to be so supportive, I mean, Mark was so supportive of, um, I mean, both my brothers were very, very supportive of my solo stuff when I started out at Top Long Queen Anne's Lace. And uh, it just turned out my senior year of school. I mean, and I was really envious of bands. I mean, I'd go on tour solo or with, like, with a friend and we would each play a set. And then we'd watch these bands play and you just see this camaraderie and all these inside jokes and all this energy, um, inherent energy provided, you know, on stage and for the audience to, to feed into that. It's hard to, you know, it's really hard to build that kind of energy when you're alone. And so I knew I wanted that. I mean, I, I tried to fake it with a uh, freshman year. I wanted it to sound like a band and people do think it's the band anyway. Uh, um, and as I was graduating college, Mark, Mark's band was kind of, uh, fizzling out and we decided to start playing together, but it took a long time because we, we essentially came together with very, very different tastes and very different instincts for songwriting and for me, I mean, almost no experience in collaborating. I just didn't know how to collaborate. I was very threatened by the idea because I identified so much with my lyrics right. and wanted to feel understood in this way that is... Uh, I, I didn't realize until I, until recently that I had to be all right with not being understood, um, not being fully understood. Mm -hmm. And even when you are, there is some, there's still an absence there. I mean, nobody can live in your... Nobody can experience what you're experiencing fully. But that is the funny thing about music. I mean, that you can hear an album and feel, feel as though you are understood. It's, it's funny to think that the artist wants the same thing, but the problem is the second you finish something, you're already a different person than when you started making it. I remember being young and hearing a song and feeling moved by it. And no, I mean, Michael Jackson was the earliest version, I guess, of hearing something and knowing how one-sided that connection, that felt connection really mm. is. 
this person who I will, you know, never I would meet. never meet. It's not fair that you could feel so connected to the person, but also have to admit that you're never going to meet them. Yeah, to feel so comforted, to feel this very welcome escape created by another human being. Music would sometimes be, feel more personal than the friendships I had mm. growing up, you know? Because friends, uh, you know... <laughs> People are people are challenging, but you know, albums are uh, not so much. I mean, they bend with you, they grow with you. Yeah, it's. I don't, you know, I, I I've been hearing a lot. I I think it is good to reveal ourselves. I mean, you know, there's a there's that speaker Brene Brown. I've been listening to her a lot. And she talks about vulnerability, and that's like a big. I think that's really majorly being discussed now in the day and age we're living in. Of you know we have these abilities to expose ourselves to degrees of which we don't even know what the consequences down the line will be of uh, how visible our lives can be, how, how visible we can be to each other. But uh, it, it really, I mean, having to communicate uh, and not having my mind, not being able to have my mind read the way that I thought would happen, I imagined that I would meet some, I don't know, some kind of... <laughs> spiritual <laughs> like some person that was just born to make music with me but it's not really I don't know our, our circumstances that bring us together I in a million years I never thought I would have been making music with my brother at least like growing up I shouldn't say a million it was really only in 15 years I didn't think yeah. <laughs> that I'd end up making music with my brother um 15 years from now you could be saying the same thing about something that you oh yeah haven't we even just... dreamt of yet yeah, I, I hope I'm evolving. And um, one of the most rewarding relationships of my life has been with my brother. Uh, it's incredible that we get to make music together and that I get to make music with somebody I've known my whole life. But yeah, we just played a show last week and it was such a blast. I mean, like watching everybody on stage and having that experience together, I know that I'm going to be missing that quality playing alone. Yeah. But what's so the plan is is just to spend, you know, a good part of the next year doing solo stuff. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, there's going to be, you know, Hop Along will certainly still need to be active. I think we'll just be active working on songs rather than being on the road. Right. But no, it'll be, it'll be, it's, I hope it, I'm just hoping it'll be a dynamic year of, uh, I mean, the last few years have been dynamic. I think I'm just trying to add something to it to keep it, keep it spicy. I don't know. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming by to talk with me. Thank you. Francis has a bunch of solo dates coming up, so check francisquinlan.com for details. Next up, um, I actually thought I had lost this audio for a while, but then I found it. Yay. It was in some folder somewhere, naturally. Uh, this is from an interview with Lana Del Rey. Back in 2011, we met up for coffee at the Maritime Hotel in New York, and this was during a moment when it seemed clear to everyone that Lana Del Rey was about to have a major breakthrough with her music. Video games had already gone viral, she had a record deal with Interscope Records, and I was there to talk to her for Rolling Stone magazine's hot issue. But Lana was skeptical that it was going to all work out, after what had felt like an eternity of rejection. I'm going to play back the first five minutes or so of what ended up being about an hour-long conversation, and then I'll work in some more of it uh, in other upcoming episodes of LSQ. Um, But yeah, let's get it going. This is how it starts. We took it all. We brought them to our land. 
An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. So, um, let's talk about Elvis. Okay. Let's start by talking about Elvis. I'm a big Elvis fan myself, and I understand that you are as well. I have a don't be cruel tattoo. Don't be cruel. <laughs> so, how did you, I mean, is it, did you listen to Elvis at all as a kid, or is it... I found him, I found him when I was older, and I, I mean, you know, obviously you hear his name in passing and on television and things, but it's kind of funny, I was like... I was in a bookstore and I saw a giant picture book on sale um, of him, and I sort of, I sort of just started by looking at pictures of his face, and I was just interested in kind of how beautiful he was first, even though I was a singer before. Uh, and then I started listening to his music, and I thought, I just thought to myself, I really liked that. I really thought. He was like a magnificent creature. Like if I had seen him in person, I'd probably die. Or something. <laughs> he, was, he was very beautiful to me. I'm pretty impressionable, like visually. I was struck by him. So. Yeah. So what when you started listening? What were the first? Did you just listen to like the hits or something? I or did. Like, I listened to Elvis Presley's greatest hits. Right, like Heartbreak it's Hotel. Still what I listen to. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes the weird random like. Um, Elvis songs from soundtracks though that like are, are, are just so wild like you know Edge of Reality and shit like that crawfish. you ever hear like Edge of Reality I don't know dun, 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 dun. I think it's from Edge of Reality the movie right. it's fucking cool so did you get really in I mean after that yeah. did you get really into it yeah I did I mean is that you know some sometimes you know not not everybody's has that habit of when they That's find true. something that they like, they like go really into it. But are, what about I, you? Yeah, no, you know, I don't love that much, like in popular music. So when I find something I like, I pretty much like all of it. Elvis was one. Nirvana was the first. Loved everything. Fucking loved it. Yeah. Mm. And how old were you when you were listening to Nirvana? I again, it was later. Right. I had heard them. I mean, I heard one song when I was eleven. Was in love, but never went back to it until. So what were you into when you were eleven? I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't know. I mean, not music. I, I just mean, oh, what was, was your? What were you like? What were you crazy about when you were eleven? Were you into animals? I, I liked to write. Right. And I interested in philosophy poor thing and uh, uh, I really liked to write that's what I was sort of thinking about doing when I was younger right as kids do like like fiction like stories yeah fiction, like yeah. stories yeah. and when did you start to become musical well I was musical when I was really young just singing um, when I was really little and uh, sang at home in school and when I came here when I was 18 I wasn't very good at the guitar but I sort of played my first shows my first two years with just me and guitar and uh, where would you play just like that random I really only played in Williamsburg because that was where people were sort of playing 
I don't even think they um, are open anymore, like Galapagos. Right. And, like right. like um, Pete's Candy Store. And that like kind Pete's of, Candy yeah. Store. I mean, pianos. Thank you. And the living room is still there. But when did you when did you start to to see yourself primarily as as, as, a, singer? as, as a singer and, and mm-hmm. as wanting to do this? I always considered myself a singer, but I didn't consider myself like. Um, a good singer or someone who had a chance at it until I was maybe 19 or 20 when I started, I had sent my demo to David Kahn, who was sort of a famous producer here. That, I mean, he was considered to be really well-known and smart. And when he told me that he loved it and he wanted to start with, with me the next day, I sort of felt validated and decided that someone that good felt that I was good, I maybe had a chance. Right. Um, and even though years, no, really until now, years and years after that, even though I sort of never had another experience like that where someone sort of of his caliber thought that I was good, I ran on that for a long time and it was helpful for me. Um, but I found out pretty quickly that things weren't going to be that easy and when the record, that first record was shelved for a couple of years, I realized I sort of had to make a decision about whether this was going to be like something I did because I really uh, enjoyed it because um, mm-hmm. it became clear that I was not going to be successful. Um, yeah. Which that's, I mean, that's something that's tough, I mean, even for people 10 years older than you to, yes. to get to the point where they're like yeah, definitely willing to to face that or something. Definitely. So, I mean, would you say that that was, that that was freeing to arrive at that place? It's just necessary. Otherwise, you just go crazy. It's like being in love with someone who will just not love you. It will drive you mad. Yeah. I mean, because I really loved music. I was really very passionate about it. And when when it's not giving anything back to you, sort of, you, you have to shift your focus and throw yourself into something else, hopefully something good. When you love something, like, a lot, it's, it can be, like, a difficult transition, but you, you sort of get to be at peace with it. Time goes always. I love her. And it's just wild to hear her talking about kind of assuming the worst would happen at that point, when obviously now we know it all worked out so well. And the rest of that conversation, uh, as I mentioned earlier, is really interesting, and I'm going to play some more of it in upcoming episodes. The very next episode, in a couple of weeks, uh, will feature a conversation with the wonderful Natasha Khan of the project Bad for Lashes, and she's about to be on the road doing dates uh, in February, so check Bad for Lashes' website for info on that. And if you don't already subscribe to LSQ, come on, what are you waiting for? You can also reach me with feedback and questions on Twitter and Instagram, at JennyLSQ. Thanks again to Francis Quinlan, to Lana Del Rey, and of course to you.